You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ogui, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. So he used to make me, when I told him that would be just to say that, telling him that I wanted to start joking. He's like, great, so we start tomorrow morning. And I said, why? Can you guys hear me through this? All right. He said, let's start tomorrow morning. I said, okay. So I wore my, you know, it's only first time joggers that wear full jogging apparel. That, that day, first time you want to jogger, then you have ginger, you wear a shirt, you wear shorts or joggers. You wear canvas, you put that armband, headband, then you wear, you carry earpiece with phone, put it in the armband, you are going to jog. And then you jog for three minutes and say, I'm not doing it again. Did you guys see that video of that, that small boy? <laughs> say, I cannot, I'm not doing it again. And so, the distance we were supposed to jog was about four kilometers. So, uh, we, started this jogging, and then I could have sworn to God that I had done nine kilometers, but alas, I hadn't gotten to half of the journey, and so, at some point, there's a way, I don't know if this happens to you, if you ever jog, your back, your waist will start paining you, then your stomach, then your legs, so you now feel like your entire body is shutting down. And if you keep jogging, you die. You actually die. You actually feel like if I continue this thing, I'm going to fall down here and die. And so I was jogging. And then this day I was just jogging. And then he had gone far. Then realized that I was not behind him again. I was not doing it again. So he came back and said, what happened? I said, my brother, I cannot. I'm unable to can. Please, I'm not doing it again. Then no, it's not far now. You've only jogged from, if you went to Covenant University, you only jogged jogged from Daniel Hall to that roundabout front of chapel. And I was going to gate. So I was not doing it again. <laughs> I was going to gate and back to the hall. He said, okay, this is what we will do. That I, I, I should wait there. I should just cross over to the other side. That on his return journey, I will follow him to go back. So I said, okay, okay, I can do that. I can do that. I didn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do it. When he came back, all right, let's go. And then I took the first step, and my body said, "Don't try it." I stopped. I said, "I won't try it. I will not do this." But after, like, you know, four or five times, I could now run to the gate and back. And then at some point I, on Saturdays, I would go to the gate, go back, then go back to the gate and go back because we are now, you know, pros at it. And now bad guys. But I started with that story because that's how your spiritual life is. That's how spiritual growth looks like. Do you ever remember the first time you fasted? When you were young? That you declared fasting in your mother's church. And it was for 21 days. But they only asked you to fast for 7 days. And those 7 days were the worst days of your life. Because you wake up in the morning, expect, especially Saturday morning, when they should be giving you things like akara and pap. But that morning, there's no food. Why? We're fasting. And you were only fasting till 12. These other people fasted till 6 p.m. Boy, you're not doing it again. Is that true? 
You remember the first time you prayed for more than 10 minutes? You know a lot of people think that when you say, I pray 20 minutes, you did not pray long. Have you prayed for 20 minutes before? It's even worse when you have to do it in English. What will you be saying to God for 20 minutes in English? Father, Lord God. Remember the first time you ever had to pray a stretch prayer? And stretch prayer, I'm talking about one hour. Ah! So I'll just be talking in tongues for one whole hour. The following questions will cross your mind. Who sent me? Number two, what will I be thinking about in that whole hour when I'm talking to God in other tongues? How many of you have prayed more than an hour before? Raise your hand above your head. How many of you have not prayed more than an hour before? It's okay if you can't. If you haven't. Okay, that's fine. You will soon do it. <laughs> I remember, I remember when we were planning for the camp meeting. <laughs> How many of you prayed for two hours the first time at camp meeting? Raise your hand. Okay, okay. Nice. I remember when we were planning for the camp meeting and I told somebody that, oh, they are going to be praying. We'll be happy. He asked me what the schedule for the camp meeting looks like. So I said, oh, we'll have morning devotion. And in his head, morning devotion is morning devotion at home. 30 minutes, 10 minutes of worship, 10 minutes of word, 10 minutes of prayers. Then you close it with grace, you know. So I said, we'll have morning devotion, then a teaching, a four-hour teaching session. And then we'll come back for afternoon sessions. Like, okay, okay. Everybody is okay when I tell them you, we will have four hours of teaching. They're like, mad. Let's go. Because you'll be sitting down for the whole four hours. And I'll be standing and talking. So when he asked me, so how long is the devotion? I said, oh, it's just two hours. He said, so you're preaching in the devotion? I said, no. He said, let me understand. What are we doing throughout the two hours? I said, we're praying. He said, Pastor, let me just tell you now. I can't do it. But he did it and he did it well. In fact, after the first day, he came to tell me he didn't know that two hours had gone. It felt very short. But we ran the two hours. And this year we will increase it. Say loud, amen. Ah, good. First Timothy chapter four. Ah, ah. Timothy chapter 4. Are you there? Verse 8. For those of you using software, now until you know the verse, you can't open the Bible. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Are you there? If you're there, say loud amen. If you're not there, say loud amen. If you're there now, say loud amen. Alright, first Timothy chapter 4, verse number 8. He says, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Bodily exercise profiteth little. That's why I don't go to the gym. Amen. So I actually go to the gym, so don't be deceived. But bodily exercise profiteth little. And he says, godliness is profitable unto all things. Which means you must exercise yourself in godliness. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? There's such a thing as godly exercise. A lot of people expect that your Christian walk is all roses or a bed of roses. But I would like to tell people that even on a bed of roses, there are thorns. Do you understand? So your Christian work is going to require that you exercise yourself. And if you know anything about exercise, it is not pleasant at the beginning. Is that true? It's not pleasant at the beginning. My worst day in the gym is when you have to do stomach. That's why my stomach is like this. <laughs> ha! God, how many of you have ever done abs day? In the, raise your hand. Then you have to sit up. Then you will do some very weird things that God did, God did not design your body to do. You start, what? But bodily exercise profits little. Godly exercise is profitable unto all things. So, there's such a thing as godly exercise. What is godly exercise? Let's talk about your prayer life. How do you exercise yourself in your prayer life? Listen, because you want to lose weight, there are certain things you don't eat anymore. Is that true? It's not true for me. I eat everything. I still hope to lose weight, but amen. God is working in our lives. But because you want to lose weight, there are certain things you don't eat anymore. Is that true? There are certain things that you push yourself to do. God, you wake up after seven days of jogging and your body, your entire body, all your muscles are hurting. You can't laugh normally anymore because it's like you've been serving punishments the whole week. But you still have to wake up that morning, get dressed and get yourself to the gym. Right? Why? Because you know that it's exercise. Eventually, those things that used to be so difficult for you, will become better and easier for you. Why? Exercise. And the thing is this, as a believer, the day you stop exercising, you start falling into apathy. Apathy is a state of nonchalant or nonchalant attitude against the things of God or about the things of God. So you stop to care about the things of God. You stop to care about the things of God. You stop to care about spiritual activities. We can tell. I hope you know. We can tell. Everyone can tell. Paul was writing to Timothy. He said that he should keep this word so that his profiting may appear to all. He says to him, pay attention, give heed, pay attention to these sayings, that your profiting may appear to all. So everyone can tell, is visible to everyone. You know in your heart of hearts that if you want to pray, there are people you call to pray with you. Not all your friends can pray with you. Is that true? Why? Because you can tell that those ones who you wouldn't call to pray with, you don't have a prayer life. Am I saying the truth?
And so you give yourself over to godly exercise. Somebody asked me during the course of the week over Twitter, how do you put your angels to work? I said, see, here's the problem with a lot of things we've been taught as Christians for a long time. So when you hear the subject of angels, what you automatically think is houseboy. So somebody you can just command around when you want to. But you don't get it. Angels are drawn to a lifestyle of prayer. Is that true? The miraculous is drawn to a lifestyle of prayer. A man who has a prayerful lifestyle will see more miracles. Is that true? That's why that church is being mountain of fire and... A man who prays, will he will be more open. Oh, pastor, how can I hear from God? Develop a prayer life. Like, a man who prays will hear more from God. Is it true? Let me tell you something. All the doctrine you know, all the vision you know, all the Greek and Hebrew you know, you still don't see more than your mother. Is it true? Some of you that have praying mothers know what I'm talking about. I remember when I was doing poorly in school. It was very bad. In one course. And then my mother called me one day in school. And she's like, how are your academics? I said, everything is fine. She said, nah, are you sure there's no course you're having problems with? I said, no, everything is fine. Because in my head, how do you want to know? So she proceeded to tell me the name of the course. <laughs> you know when they've nabbed you, you just say, oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm failing. <laughs> some of you know that if your mother, like you know that there are some issues that when you have, you will just call your mother and say, pray for me, I beg. Because her prayers are effective. Is that true? You can be like that too. You are the praying mother of tomorrow. You are the praying father of tomorrow. So start to exercise yourself in prayers. Don't be in a gathering. They say, let us pray. And you switch off your mind. You pocket your hands. You are not praying because you don't feel like it. Do you think the other people pray and feel like praying? Or do you think when they started, they felt like praying? I don't know what you assume. You know, somebody came to tell me that, Pastor, I'm struggling with my prayer life. Every time I want to pray, I start feeling sleepy. I said, my brother, me and you... Is the two of us. <laughs> it's the two of us. The way I've had... Recently, my prayer time has shifted to 4 o'clock in the morning. But God knows I've only prayed by 4 once. And actually, that day was 4.30 I prayed. Ah, God. And do you know the interesting thing? It's not alarm that wakes me up. The Holy Ghost wakes me up. Like, I literally wake up with His voice in my head. Go and pray. Like just let me just few minutes. Let me just enjoy the grace of the Lord. Because the Bible says that God gives his beloved sleep. So sleep is a proof of God's love for you, amen. Aha. Uh-huh. So somebody said, My prayer life, every time I want to pray, I find myself sleeping. My brother is all of us. <laughs> Or I'm praying and my mind is wandering. Ah. God knows that there are some prayer sessions that I finish praying. 
And then I'm like, ah, God, I'm sorry, I know I did not tell you anything. Throughout the prayer, if I, there was one, I was praying, and what was going through my head was Avengers Endgame. It was just played in my head. Like the entire movie ran, and I was, and it was a stretch prayer session, no? So if you had seen me, you would think, ah, surely it's communicating with angels. But in my life, I know what I was thinking about. <laughs> But here's the beautiful thing. The more you pray, the better you become at it. Is that true? So usually when people come and tell me, oh, I want to build my prayer life, I say, start with 10 minutes. After 10 minutes, give me 20, give me 30. Alright, you've done 30 minutes, add another 30 to it. Do one hour. By the time you tell them, ah, do one hour, they're like, ah, no, I cannot, I will die. Push yourself. Because if you stop pushing yourself, you start regressing. Listen, the Bible calls your Christian work a race. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, seeing as you have this great crowd of witnesses around you, he says, let us run this race that is set before us. So there's a race set before you. And in a race, there's no fixed position, sir. If I was first at the beginning of the race, it's a hundred meter race, I'm first up to 50 meters and I stand, I've made it. Every other person will pass me and guess what I'll become? That's right. I'll be the last in the race. And so, don't ever think that if you stop giving attention to your spiritual life, it will keep growing, it will not, sir. Or you will remain where you were, you will not, sir. You know what is going to happen? You will find out that habits that you have already dropped, you start picking them back up. Am I saying the truth? You start picking up habits that you had done away with. So before, you struggled with pornography, you struggled with masturbation, but then your prayer life picked up, your Bible study culture picked up, fellowship picked up, and then you started noticing, uh-uh. I'm doing this thing less and less, and then eventually I've not done it in six months. I've not done it in a year. Glory to God, I've made it. Now I can rest. And then three weeks after, three weeks, guys, only three weeks, you find out that, ah, what's going on? There are temptations that are coming back that I thought I had dropped. You literally start becoming another person. You know one thing that happens when I haven't prayed in a while? or I ha- When I know, one way I know, I need a retreat. Is when I start getting angry at everything. Every little thing I get angry, I say, no, it's time to retreat. It's time to go and pray. Because this nature that is not my own is creeping back up to the surface. And pastor, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. I I cannot pray for long. It's not true. Jesus Christ called his disciples. He asked them, come pray with me. He was going to die. There was nothing that prayer was going to do for him. Sure you know. And he knew it. They were not praying for him. They were praying for themselves. I hope you know. There was nothing, nothing that their prayer was going to do for him. It's not like, let's gather, hold hands now. Let's pray so that I will not die. He knew he was going to die. So he called them to pray so that they will have strength to bear his death. Do you see that? Now, these men gathered to pray. And the Bible tells us, the Bible gives us a hint that it could have been three hours that they were there praying for. Because the Bible tells us he came after an hour to check on them the first time. Then he came back again and came back again. So that's three times. 
approximately 30 hours. Tiggy. So it's very natural that they were sleeping. Abby? They were tired. Do you know how stressful it would have been to be Jesus' disciple? Consider that this man, he, Jesus just used to walk up and down. And then, it's not like they had cars or Uber. That Jesus and his disciples, they want to go to Galilee. They book Uber to Galilee from Capernaum. It wasn't that way. So when Jesus just wakes up and says, our brother Lazarus is sleeping, let's go and wake him up. I'm going to let go. Okay, and then they start trekking for two days. Three days, literally. And then they go and wake Lazarus up. And then what next? Let's go back home. So imagine how stressful it would have been for them. Jesus calls them and tells them, come pray with me. Now, another thing you need to realize is they just had the last supper. So you are tired. You've had healthy child. What's the next thing? So please don't blame them for sleeping. It's the natural next thing to do. <laughs> you just after the stress of the day, you gathered, had one nice. They called it the last. It's the last supper. After this one, there's no other one. Haba, it's to sleep after now. Jesus expected them to push and pray. Do you understand what I'm saying? He expected them to push and pray. What I'm trying to tell you is that those excuses you give for not growing and not valid to God. When you see Christ, all those excuses will melt away. All those excuses will melt away. Listen, I understand that for some people it's truly not easy to do the things you want to do. Some of you want to spend at least one hour praying every day, but you've got to wake up by 4 a.m. and you get back to the house around 10 10 p.m. And that's, I understand that. But do you create a structure? At least do you try to find room for prayer or growth to maintain consistent growth. Like I like to say, in fact, everything worthwhile grows intentionally and dies naturally. I listen to what I'm saying. Anything worthwhile grows intentionally, but it dies naturally. What do you need to do for your business to grow? You budget, you hire the right people, you plan, you must be intentional about it. What do you need to do for it to die? Nothing. Just leave it. What do you need to do to have good grades in your results? You read, you study, do assignments, go to class, I go to class parties like this, but go to class and all those things and you will have good grades, right? What do you need to do to have bad grades? Sleep. Enjoy life. Just treat it like it's nothing. What do you need to do to have a good prayer life? You're accountable to people around you. You set an alarm for when it's time to pray. You discipline yourself to get up to pray. You push yourself even when you feel you don't feel like it. You know some people will tell you that, don't worry, even if you don't feel like it, start praying. After like 10 minutes it will come on you. Have you prayed one hour before? And the whole one hour is a struggle. <laughs> yeah, but well you push yourself through that one hour because I got pray. What do you do to have a terrible prayer life? Sleep. Just sleep. Life teaches you that you don't control your life by your by your appetites and desires. Is that true? 
with this heat wave, say the truth. There are times that you want to just walk around naked because I cannot come and kill myself with clothes. Is it true? Do it. <laughs> you don't just do what you feel like doing because you feel like doing it. Is that true? You know that there are right things to be done and you discipline yourself to get them done because let me tell you, wearing clothes under the sun is serious discipline. Real discipline, brothers and sisters. Laugh, but get the, get the point. You discipline yourself to get what needs to be done, done. So your prayer life, for example, is something you need to discipline yourself to get done. Else you fall into serious apathy. You won't know what. Listen, has this ever happened to you? You used to, you were prayerful. Your prayer life was on flick. Then something truly happened that it wasn't easy for you to pray. Let's say for a series of two days, you had to wake up very early, be out of the house. You were busy throughout the day and you came back very late only to wake up the next morning very early. And then you wanted to pray. But you really didn't find that time to pray. It wasn't your fault. But after those two days, you did not pick your prayer life back. So what happened is, three weeks have passed. And you have not sighed a word of tongues to God. And then you now realize, the only time you pray is in church. And then you realize, and you want to start praying, but you can't remember how to do it. Is that Has that happened to you before? You want to push, you tell yourself, okay, to fix this, I'm going to pray two hours. Then you start. And what used to be easy for you, where before, in 10 minutes, you, in fact, you do 10 minutes and you really feel it. Now, you have been praying for five minutes and your body is telling you, error, 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 stop now. That's called apathy. And if you give in to those desires, your body's telling you stop now. You're not saying, okay, 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 okay. And then you stop. You keep going down. Then with the prayer life, we'll go your Bible study culture. With it, we'll go your reverence for the things of God. Before, when hands were being laid, you were receptive. You were open to receive the things of God. But suddenly, you've mocked people on social media. You've mocked the things of God outside because somehow in your mind you are receptive to your own pastor's flow. Every other pastor is not probably getting it right. And then suddenly you realize even when your pastor is flowing, you are now critical about it. You are now questioning, why did he touch our head? Do you get what I'm saying? Before, you used to heal the sick. But you did not maintain that culture. You So for example, something happened around you and instead of you to say, let me pray for you, you changed the environment. You entered a new school. So you used to heal the sick in your former school. But now you're in a new school. And then, oh yeah, now pray for them. You're like, ah, nobody knows me here. Let me not go on. And what happens? What used to be easy for you to do before becomes... These are vital signs that you must look out for in your life. If you no longer... Listen, it is a problem, number one, eh, that you don't have a prayer life. 
then it is a bigger problem that it doesn't concern you. Ah! So you don't have a prayer life and it does not concern you. You have gone far. You're not doing well. You have gone really far. Are you getting what I'm saying? You have gone far. Another thing you must look out for, people around you are talking negatively about things that you hold sacred and it does not affect you. You have gone far. Start to retrace your steps. Can you hear what I'm saying? These are things that if you notice them in your life, you tell yourself, wait, wait. Something is wrong. Praise the Lord. I hope you are following what I'm saying. Because this teaching, this teaching is supposed to be just a standalone teaching. There's no series on apathy. I'm just doing this teaching because it is needed at this moment. Some of you go for an extended period of prayers. Maybe you went for a retreat. You prayed well in that retreat. But after that retreat, it's now time to pray. You're like, let me rest. I've been praying since. And then from there, your prayer life will now disappear. How many of you have noticed that? So how many of you came for camp meeting? You, you prayed for two hours after in camp. How many of you after camp meeting maintained the two hours of prayer culture? Not so many people. Just a very few people. Bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things. So be godly in the way you do things. Be godly in the way you talk. Be godly. Exercise yourself unto godliness. Do you get what I'm saying? Content that you just refuse to consume. Not because, oh, you know, a lot of us, we excuse consuming immoral things by saying it is rated 18 and I'm above 18. Is that true? You know you should not watch movies with very strong sex scenes. Because you have a very strong propensity to struggle with lust. You have been battling pornography all your life. Or for a very long time now. And every time a series comes on, they will, they will warn you before they start. This, the show you're about to watch is rated 18. And it contains scenes with sex, violence, and strong language. Viewers' discretion is advised. And then you are watching it. And then the sex scene comes up. And instead of you to close your eyes or turn the movie or change the channel or something... You are watching and say, what? We are all adults here. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. He says, all things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That you can do it does not mean you should do it. And this is what I'm saying. Oh, is it wrong for a Christian to go to club? You have asked the wrong question. If a Christian goes to the club, will he sin? You have asked, will he go to hell? You have asked the wrong question. He will not go to hell if he goes to the club. I've answered you. Oh yeah, go. <laughs> now you come back and start telling me, Pastor, I don't know what's happening to my spiritual life. It's up today, down tomorrow. It's like that because I don't know my... <laughs> I'm just joking. But you get the point. Pastor, should a Christian be smoking? Why do you want to smoke? Is the sun not hot enough? <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? All things are lawful, 
There is nothing that is not lawful for you. I hope you know. Except of course if it is a sin, if it is wrongdoing. But there are things the Bible does not say anything about. Alright? Is is neither lawful nor unlawful. In fact, some of them, the Bible stylishly agrees that you can do them. Like alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> some of you are shocked. Paul wrote to Timothy and asked him to take some strong wine. It's not ever wine. Strong wine for his stomach. Yeah. Is that true? Does that now mean that you become a fish and be drinking alcohol everywhere you go? All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. The word expedient means it's not helpful. Do you get what I'm saying? It's not helpful. Especially for those of you that know the things they are struggling with. It's not helpful. I remember when I was debating and, and, and somebody asked me about this alcohol thing and I said, I pointed the person to what Paul said to Timothy. And the person said, no, 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 no. That's Paul. What did Jesus say about it? I said, let me tell you. The last supper. <laughs> Selah. <laughs> when Jesus turned water to wine, it was not ever wine. No. <laughs> Selah again. <laughs> I mean, Jesus turned water to wine. The heavens that were doing the party said, this is the best wine they've ever tasted. Do you think it's fruit juice they were drinking? <laughs> Praise the Lord. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Discipline yourselves. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Don't let your convictions shift because of situations. Ah, this one is important. I've been praying about it, praying about it, praying about it, but it's not changing. So I stopped praying. There's something my teacher always says. He says, if your situations can change your convictions, then your convictions will never change your situations. And it's true. If your problem can change your belief system, then your belief system will never change your problem. If the people around you, your friends, can change your convictions, your convictions will never change your friends. If you easily give up, just give in, you, you throw your Christianity away just because of your friends to make them feel comfortable, you will never change them. You never change them. You will pray all you want for them, but they will never change. So discipline yourself to stay on your convictions. I've been doing a research recently and what I've discovered is that the most successful people in the world today are highly disciplined people. Even the ones that you think are indisciplined. Highly disciplined people. Highly? What? It seems to me that if the easiest way to destroy anything any man is building is indiscipline. And what is discipline? Discipline is acting as commanded, not as convenient. And when I say as commanded, it doesn't mean, oh, they commanded you to do it, so you must do it. It means acting according to what is necessary, not according to what is convenient. Do you get what I'm saying? So it's necessary that you pray. 
it's necessary that you build a Bible study culture. Ah, let me talk about that one a little bit. Bible study culture. Notice that I did not say that it's necessary that you do Bible study. I said build a culture of studying the Bible. And that culture includes but not limited to reading your Bible and listening to messages. At least one a day is okay. Are you hearing what I'm saying? At least one one message a day is good. It will help you. It will help you. This was the one thing that our parents did not really get right. Because they prayed a lot. But when it came to a Bible study culture, it was almost non-existent. So you know that there's that Bible in your house that sits either on the shelf in the parlor or on the head of your daddy's bed. That Bible only comes out in the morning for morning devotion. And after morning devotion, you close it and drop it back like the book of life. Is it true? If you will be honest, not many of you can ever remember seeing your father read his Bible. (laughs) Or your mother. Except maybe you were born to preachers or extremely spiritual parents. But prayers, haba. You build a culture of Bible study. Last week I told you the, I, I, I pointed out the importance of knowledge to you as believers. So, um, you are not easily deceived. Do you know what I'm saying? You are not easily deceived by men and by the devil. Oh, the devil deceives you. The devil is cunning and he deceives. One trend I've noticed recently amongst a lot of the young people that I pastor is one way the devil has started seeing people is through dreams. Somebody will have a series of dreams and become, the person will become confused about what they should do next. It's as if when, when they have that dream, they throw away everything about scripture they know. The dream is now everything for them. Can the, get, can the devil influence your dreams? He can't. This is why it is wrong for you to say, if you dream and you see this, this is what it means. If you dream and you see this, this is what it means. No! First of all, submit all of it to the Lordship of the Word of God. What does the Word of God say concerning this situation that I just dreamt about? Regardless. Now, if it is something that, oh, that question is not very easy to answer. Maybe you had a dream that somebody you love died. What does the word of God tell me to do in such a situation? Be anxious for nothing. But in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. So what should you do? Panic? No. What do you do? You pray. Do you see that? But instead, you pick up for and start calling pastor. Pastor, hello pastor. Pastor, please pastor. Wait. Pastor, one second. Can I have one minute of your time, pastor? I just had a dream. What do you do? You pray. Let the word of God guide you. This is why you build a Bible study culture. It's a culture of studying the word. A lot of people want to apply the Bible like medicine. It is not all. The Bible is the food you eat, not the medicine you take. The difference is this. The food you eat gives you nutrients steadily. 
The medicine brings nutrients when only you need them. Or you perceive that you do. But notice that the doctors never prescribe that you take medicine every day. They will only prescribe it for you when you are sick. And that's the problem with a lot of Christians. The only time they look for what the world says is when they are sick. Both literally and figuratively. A man who is battling anxiety will start looking for scriptures that will help him battle that anxiety because, well, the Bible works. But guess what? If he had a Bible study culture, he would already know them. He might not even battle the anxiety. Because just by feeding on the word, on a healthy dose of the word daily, he's growing and he's pushing away everything that, that does not belong with him. Do you understand what I'm saying? So part of the things you exercise yourself to godly, part of the things that constitute godly exercise is building a culture of study. Bible study culture. When was the last time you read a Christian book? When? Do you get what I'm saying? When? So many of us, if Paul wrote the letters of the Bible to us directly, we still not read it. We still don't read it. So I don't like, I don't like reading hard copy. I want soft copy. Oh yeah, there are soft copy Bibles. And listen, there are things that you just do as a believer to help your life. You see, the easiest way to maintain structure or to maintain a culture is to build a system around that culture that makes sure the culture thrives. Is that true? So for example, you get a phone. You download Facebook, you download WhatsApp, Instagram, Snapchat, to go. Because I don't know why anybody would download to go, but to go. You download to go. You download Bado. You know, there's some really, really weird apps. And you have all these apps on your phone, but you don't have a Bible app on your phone. You are wrong, sir. So show me the Bible where it says that you must download an app on the phone. You are also wrong. Something's wrong with you asking me that question. Download the Bible app on your phone. What are you doing? You are creating a system around the Bible study culture that feeds that culture. So now you have a Bible app on your phone. Now, the next thing you do is set an alarm to read the app on the same phone. So it will never happen that the alarm will ring and you don't have a Bible. The day the alarm, once the alarm rings, just tap the app. In fact, what I do is I put the app on that dock. You know that place where you put the apps you read it? My Bible app is always there. So, once my alarm rings, I tap it. It's, the, it's one of the first things I see when I open my phone. Even if I don't set an alarm, when I see it, I remember, ah, I have to read my Bible, and I open it. Some Bible apps give you a verse of the day. Use that. Activate that feature. When you see the verse of the day, open the app, read. Read a chapter. Regurgitate. Take it in, bring it out, take it back in. Before you know what's going on, you've covered the distance. Buy a devotional. Do you get what I'm saying? It will also help you study your Bible. A lot of devotionals have Bible in one year plan. Is that true? Which means if you use that devotional for a year, you would have taken your Bible from cover to cover in 365 days. That's, that's something. Right? So buy a good devotional. I can recommend one for you. It's called Triumph 30. There's an app. Download it. 
You get, you get what I'm saying? Listen to messages. You see, these are the things that would... So these are systems now that you're building around your Bible study culture that will fuel that culture. So you listen to a message. Have you ever listened to a message? The pastor is done preaching on a verse and you feel like, I've, I know that verse, but I've never... It's like, I know the verse, but I've never seen it before. So you open your Bible and you read it again because you want to be sure that what the pastor said is correct. Is that true? And what has happened, that message has driven you to scripture to study. So listen to messages. This is a very good time to announce for those of you that are using iOS phones that our messages are now available on your podcast platform so you can easily listen to them. For those of you that are using Android phones, sorry. We'll get to you. We actually submitted the messages to Google Podcasts before Apple. Google Podcasts has taken us almost two weeks to upload to some verify the messages. Apple did it in four days. Says a lot about the two companies. Anyway, let's get back to the teaching. So listen to messages. The third, the third thing I want to say about godly exercises, fellowship. Fellowship. The reason, write this down, the reason why God instituted fellowship is accountability. The reason why God instituted fellowship is accountability. If you don't know how to spell accountability, it is spelled F-R-Y-Q-W-X. Accountability. The reason why God instituted fellowship is accountability. So what does that mean? Or what does that say to you? Let me tell you something. If you are a spiritual boy on campus or a spiritual girl on campus, you know that there are certain things you can't do just because you are a spiritual boy or a spiritual girl on campus. Is that true? Certain temptations will not be easy to find you because you've put up structures that will not even allow you to be tempted. Praise the Lord. A lot of people know me on social media. And so it is very, very difficult for me to say, go to the club. Because imagine if I enter club and then, Pastor Oge, right? And I'm like, uh, in these streets, it's just Oge. <laughs> or you can shorten it to OG. It's even better for the club. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So fellowship is important. Fellowship is important. How many of you have ever noticed that it's easier to pray longer when you are with other people? When we say, hold hands with your neighbor, pray in the language of the Alright, release your hands, go home, pray in the language of the Holy Ghost. No. It's the way God designed it to be. We're stronger together. Do you see that? We're stronger together. It says one will chase a thousand, two, ten thousand. You see, if one chases a thousand, two will chase. If you share ten thousand between two, that's five thousand each, right? 
So the difference is not just a one multiplied by two. So if one chases one thousand, two will chase two thousand. No. It increases geometrically. So your spiritual growth will be faster and better with fellowship. That's what I'm trying to tell you. If it took you one year to learn how to pray in one hour, for one hour, I'm telling you brothers and sisters, it would take you literally less than a week in fellowship to do so. In fact, I know people that the first time they ever stretched, it was six hours. Ha! It was difficult, but they stretched the six hours because they were with other people. That's so it became easier for them to do. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. So, I talked about your prayer life. I talked about the Bible study culture. And I talked about fellowship. These are things that you already know. Don't neglect fellowship. Hebrews 10, 25 tells us not to forsake the gathering of the brethren. When we announce that we are having a meeting, come. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Come for meetings. Attend meetings. I know a young woman who was complaining that she doesn't know what's happening with her spiritual life. That she's putting in effort and there's nothing. And I asked her, or a friend of mine asked her last year, in this year, how many meetings have you gone to? And she said one. And it's not like she went, and that was the, that was the end of last year. And it was not like she went for that meeting by herself. She was dragged there. She said, we know where your problem is coming from. Show me a man that tells you such a thing like my Christianity is between God and I and come back one year later and I will show you a man that has backslidden. It's the truth. Everybody I have ever met that said my Christianity is between myself and God. I don't need to be in church. Everyone I've ever heard say that backslid. Everyone. There's no exception. Because the devil's strategy for destruction is exemption. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 1 tells us that through desire a man having separated himself seeketh and intermeddleth with all forms of um, wisdom. And now you read that scripture and I think it's, it means a good thing. No, but what that scripture is telling you is that a selfish man when he separates himself is prone to erroneous thoughts and ideas. It's true. It's true. It's only men who walk in isolation that say stupid things. Is the truth. A man who works with other people will first of all say those stupid things to his closest friends. Then they'll tell him, don't say it outside. Yeah. And so in your, Christ, in your Christian walk, look for fellowship. There's a reason why Circle Church is working very hard, spending all our resources to make sure we meet every Sunday. We have a campus fellowship going on. We have something around for you. Now, we're even trying to start a midweek service. It's very difficult because of resources. But all of that is to make sure that there is a consistent pattern of growth for you. Do you get what I'm saying? Some of you will attest to the fact that it was when you started coming to church regularly that you started noticing growth in your life. Praise the Lord. Don't give in to apathy. Don't fall into apathy. 
Don't let the fire of God that burns on your heart to burn out. Don't. Fan to flames that fire that's on your inside. You know what? A lot of times we sing songs like, Oh God, set my heart on fire for you. God will not set your heart on fire for him. You set it. What he does is he puts the desires. For God is working in you both to will and to do. To will means to desire it. So he's working in you to will. So he places desires in your heart. Desires that you are to fan to flames. Do you get what I'm saying? Desires that you are to fan to flames. How does God place those desires in your heart? One day, he sends a brother or a sister to invite you to church. You've not been in church for a while, but you see a tweet that says, or or an Instagram post, or a Facebook post that says, oh, come to this church, and then suddenly you just feel like, I should go there. And you are there, the first time you come, you have it in your heart that, oh, I was really blessed, I need to come back here. Now, after that first time, a desire has been planted in your heart. What the devil does is he comes to contend with that desire. He contends with it in many ways. He gives you reasons why you should not go. I know a young man who was looking for a church. He told me, I'm looking for a church around. Now, he stayed at Ikeja and I told him, why don't you go to CCI? Your house is not far from CCI. And he said, well, I would have gone, but there are too many CU graduates there. I said, you are not serious, sir. The devil is using you to play football. He will give you all sorts of excuses why you shouldn't go. If the excuses don't work, transport will disappear. Is is it true? But you are to fan to flames. How many of you have ever cooked with charcoal before, um, firewood before? Do you know how difficult it is to fan that thing to flames? You will fan, you will fan, you will blow. You find, you find, is it true? But once it catches fire, that's it. That's the way your spiritual life is. God will put the desire in your heart to find it to flames. The devil will fight you. Paul says that there's, there's a great door opened up to me. A door that is effectual, but he says that there are enemies standing against me. That's how it works though. That's how it works. When Paul was asking them to pray for the gospel, he said, pray that it will have a free course. Because you see, the gospel usually doesn't have a free course. The devil puts things, obstacles to block the flow of the gospel, even in your life. So that morning, you were ready to be blessed in service on your way to church. Just by the time you were in the middle of the distance, it started raining and then the rain dealt with you. And so you get to church, you are groggy, you are sweaty, you are tired, you are angry. And the devil, you allow it to affect the way you respond to service. And once you affect your response to service, you affect the way you receive. And what happens? You go home and you're like, I'm not going again. No. You fan it to flames. You literally fan it to flames. So when it's raining and all of that, that's when you're fanning and you're blowing it. No, 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 no. I must get to church. I must be blessed in church. So you get to church, your clothes is wet, your hair is rough, your hair is messed up, but you're with a smile. The pastor says, lift your hands and you lift your wet hands up because you know there's something I have to receive. And the devil knows, oh, this one, I can't even really get him like that. And before you know what's going on, he catches fire. And once it has caught fire, that's it. Are you getting what I'm saying? 
Don't fall into apathy. Don't give excuses why your spiritual life should go down the drain. Don't come to church and worship is going on and you are just standing because you don't know the song. If you don't know the song, pray in other tongues. Do you get what I'm saying? Participate as much as you can. It affects you. What many people don't understand is this. When we call for a healing service, the people doing the most amount of work are the people being healed. The pastor only needs to declare. As long as the power of God is present, if I say you are healed and you receive, you are healed. Is that true? So who needs to do the work? You. I mean, the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus did not even know she was there. Do you get what I'm saying? That shows you the amount of work the healer needs to do. She went, touched the hem of his garment and was healed. And so, what the devil will do to stop you is he will either give you the mindset that all you need to do is just come and sit down. The pastor should work hard and push the healing into your body. Or he will make your heart averse, angry, offended at something in church. So that day, the music minister will now choose that that's the day he wants to sing songs that nobody in the church knows. Never mind pray in other tongues. When he's done singing his songs, pray in tongues. Praise the Lord. Don't wait for them to raise popular songs before you, you raise your hand. So we are singing, maybe we are singing a song you don't know, and then you are quiet. For the moment you are singing, Gina, you do more. Ah, that's it, that's my jam. You're not, this is not a nightclub, you're not being entertained. You came here to receive. Do you get what I'm saying? Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.